0: it's funny because when we're going through the, the editing process and like you said like I'm embarrassed to have people read it specifically the ones about like love and intimacy and like those sorts of ones because growing up those, those emotions were seen as frivolous they were seen um, as uh, like a waste of time because there are other things you know like, oh, like I can't believe you're sad about this like the world is so much worse than that and so those feelings having those feelings which are very normal now that I know this as a woman in my mid-30s Um, to to have people read that, it still touches into those feelings of shame that I even have those feelings. But I think that there are lots of people who probably have had a similar upbringing in that sense, especially Indigenous people who have parents and grandparents and generations who are affected by things like residential schools and like uh, an inability to, you know, pass on healthy love and relationships. And so if I can kind of be embarrassed in a public you know, uh, scene, then, then maybe they can feel a sense of solidarity and, and okayness privately. Rebecca Thomas is the
1: author of a brand new book of poetry called I Place You Into the Fire. It boldly and bravely lays her life bare for all to see. She'll talk to me about dealing with her feelings among many other things coming up next. I'm Tara Thorne, and this is The Tideline. to get right to it this week but i just need to say one thing just one thing only just give me this the idea that halifax's covid caseload is creeping back up because of martini mondays at the bitter end i did not even know the bitter end was still open who is planning for a night of martinis on argyle street in this year of our lord not 1999 To quote my favorite movie, Thelma and Louise, you get what you settle for. Live theater is back. I personally know a lot of actors, a lot of playwrights, a lot of technicians, and they are all expecting to be out of work until May 2021, at least. Because here's the thing. You can stage a reading on Zoom, but that's about all you can do. Theater is not meant to be consumed with a screen in between artist and audience. When I review movies and I want to slag the production value, one of my go-tos is it looks like a filmed play. Because when I was in high school, during the Shakespeare unit, the teacher would always show a BBC or PBS production of a Shakespeare play that was filmed. Not well, not like National Theater Live, like you go to pay for at the movie theater. It was just sort of like, here's a camera, there's the play. Um, It's also what a 4K television looks like, and I don't know why people want this. There's film, and there's theater. So we're going back. First up is the Theater Arts Guild, which is presenting Alone and Choices, two short plays by Nicholas Jupp, originally written for the Liverpool International Theater Festival, They'll be running November 19th to 28th at Tag's home base of the Pond Playhouse. Alone charts a couple all the way through their lives from beginning to end. And Choices is a sort of sliding door situation where we learn, you know, where each fork can take us. Masks are required. They'll take your name and number at the door. You know, all of the COVID protocols are in place. It's a small, lovely theater, so I suggest getting your tickets now. Hit tagtheater.com and they'll tell you how. Tune's one-man Christmas carol returns from November 24th to December 27th. This is, of course, the Reese Bevan John Jam, where he plays, like, 13 people? That's a lot of people. And it is a retelling of The Christmas Carol. This is, of course, Ebenezer Scrooge, visited by three ghosts in the night, has a change of heart. I actually am very surprised we have not seen a gritty reboot of A Christmas Carol yet. Uh, or some sort of, like, Christmas Carol 2 in which Scrooge goes back to run Apple or something. But anyway, this is a very lovely, fun family adventure, so get your tickets now at neptunetheater.com. Don't panic when you see the sea of red dots. Seats are limited because seats are starting out that way, so click into the night you want, give it a go, highly recommended. <laughs> song from one of my favorite albums of 2020 it came out a month ago and the release show was actually my first post-quarantine live club show daniel walker is one of the best lyricists in town and he sat on this record for a lot longer than he wanted to but it was a true gift in my opinion to get it in this particular year from featherweights here's owen meanie's batting stance with krakow
2: This tour of Europe Went better than thought One more day to return The rental car felt handkerchief Out and faces, I know. I know.
1: Thomas is a Mi'kmaq poet and activist who's made a career out of challenging powerful people and structures to ensure the well-being of indigenous people in their communities. Her first book, I'm Finding My Talk, a response poem to Rita Joe's I Lost My Talk, was released last year. Her picture book, Swift Fox All Along, was released in September. She joins me now to discuss a different new release, the poetry collection, I Place You Into the Fire. Rebecca, hello. Hi. It's nice to see you. It's great to see you. We live uh many communities apart so now that there's no nothing to go to,
0: I don't see you anywhere. I know. I know that that pesky bridge. Yeah. <laughs> cannot we cannot bridge the gap we that is cannot, our
1: friendship. <laughs> we cannot. So, you put out you've put out a lot of books. Yeah. In the past 3 weeks. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I know. I feel like such a a putz. I was like talking to a friend about how frustrated I was and I was like overstretched and I was like, and then like my two books came out and it's really hard, like navigating the media. (laughs) And I was like, I sound like such a dink. (laughs) (laughs) My my publishing
1: deals. (laughs) (laughs) My two books. Exactly. So we're here to talk about I Place You Into the Fire. So it's it's sectioned into three parts and it's this word it's spelled K-E-S-A-L-U-L. Can Mm -hmm. you pronounce it for me? gesalul gesalul uh, and then so that means i love you mm-hmm. if you put an apostrophe after kesa it means i hurt you so it's gesalu gesalu and then the final word
0: you you do ke apostrophe sa apostrophe luul gesalul so it's how long you hold those vowels so the apostrophe indicates a long sound
1: so it's an amazing so you've got this single versatile word that means Amazing things hmm. in terms of poetry, in terms of life. Um, is that where this collection started?
0: Did this did you start with the name, or where did it when did it arrive? No the the name came when I was learning and like still learning about the Mi'kmaq language and how complex it is. And so you have like these three these three words that sound very similar, they look very similar, um, and it's just about how long you hold the vowel, and they mean something very different. And then when I heard that it's I love you, I hurt you, I place you into the fire, I go mental mm. Mental note, mental note. My po- my my book of poetry will be called "I Place You Into the Fire," and it was um, the brilliant mind of my editor Whitney Moran, who was like, "I think this is how we should order it." Wow, yeah. And so she came up with that, and I was like, "That's this is why you are an editor, and I am a writer." <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: well, you know, I read this in PDF form first, so I didn't see the author's note. Uh, until I read things chronologically like I'm not a flipper I just like started page one but I would have flipped through this if I I have the book now but I would have flipped through it to see your author's note at the end Um, but I didn't so after I read it it's like there's so much in here it's everything it's your father your and you know and your relationship with him or your non-relationship with him for a long time and and his issues with alcohol it's your mother who raised you but wasn't around it's your sister Mm -hmm. who was violent with you when you Mm -hmm. were younger it's your marriage it's your community it's grappling with the fact that you've never lived on a reservation it's it's speaking for it's speaking for so much like it's 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 macro and it's micro. And then I got to the author's note that said these poems are intimate and I feel embarrassed to have people read them. Like yeah. there's so much here. Is it cumulative? How how does this work come together?
0: Um, I essentially took every poem that I had ever written and I sent it to my editor and I said, here is my whole book. Person, my whole sense of self, everything. I hope there's something good in here. <laughs> and and she ordered it, and she said, I don't think that these ones quite fit. Um, I had some like shorter pieces that I wrote for um, like National Poetry Month, so I did like a little short poem every day. And she's like, I think this is for something else, and she kind of took that out. And I had a couple of other pieces, and she she ordered it, and. Uh, and yeah, and, and she put it together and it was funny because when we're going through the, the editing process and like you said, like I'm embarrassed to have people read it, specifically the ones about like love and intimacy and like those sorts of ones because growing up, those, those emotions were seen as frivolous. They were seen um, as uh, like a waste of time because there are other things, you know, like, oh, like I can't believe you're sad about this. Like the world is so much worse than that. And so those feelings, having those feelings, which are very normal now, that I know this as a woman in my mid thirties, right? Um, to to have people read that, it still touches into those feelings of shame that I even have those feelings. But I think that there are lots of people who probably have had a similar upbringing in that sense, especially Indigenous people who have parents and grandparents and generations who are affected by things like residential schools and like uh, an inability to you know pass on healthy love and relationships. And so, if I can kind of be embarrassed in a public. You know uh scene then then maybe they can feel a sense of solidarity and, and okayness privately right and
1: I have a band and I am fine to sing songs to people but the idea of people reading the lyrics is makes me feel weird
0: yeah so is do you feel different when you're performing them um I don't perform the ones about love and intimacy. Oh. <laughs> So I'm not going to trick you into that. I have one earmarked, okay? I mean, I can try and, uh, no, you know, I'm and not just gonna. avoid eye contact <laughs> wholeheartedly. Um, no, not so much. I think I think there's this kind of place where there's, like, expected anger and indignance, like things about residential school and, you know, all of that, you know, the government of Canada and how we have all these, like, policies that are inherently racist. Like, there's the Department of Indian Affairs, but imagine if there was a the Department of 2SLGBTQ Affairs. Like, you'd be like, that's messed up, right? Right. So... It, like, that stuff seems to be very, like, fair game to be publicly angry about. But things that I feel are quite, like, maybe personal or intimate, be like, performing those ones, um, that makes me feel way more exposed. And I have performed some of them. Mm-hmm. I will, yeah, I have performed some of them for sure. Um, but I always, like, I leave feeling like I had a bad therapy session or something sometimes. Right.
1: <laughs> um, is this the kind of thing where you you ask permission or you run it by the people who are going to be in it?
0: No, uh, I don't. Uh, my dad has been very great in in that. He's like, whatever you want to say about me, you can say it. He says, like, I, I know that I messed up. And I know that a lot of the things that you experienced growing up is because of me and what happened to me. He's like, if you need to cuss me out, if you need to drag me through the mud, you can do that. Uh, so he's really great. Um, my mom, I don't um, speak to. She is very, very unwell and, and, and is unable to speak. she, she, you know, has uh, has had a severe cognitive decline. She doesn't even know that I write. She has no idea mm-hmm. that I've done poetry. I haven't had a conversation with her having her full capacity to speak in about 10 years. Um, so, I, you know, she's unaware. <laughs> and um, I wrote a poem once about my stepdad's relationship with her. And he sent me a message once saying, could you please not air our family's dirty laundry? Mm. <laughs> so there's a lot of that. But at the same time, you know, it's I don't think that family trauma is something to be ashamed of because I think that there are a lot of families out there that experience it and I think if you keep it hidden all the time it kind of perpetuates that sense of shame right you know I think it was like uh, Andre Fenton who's a friend and author uh, he has in his first book he writes like hurt people hurt people and it's so succinct and it's so sweet and it's so cliche but it's at the same time so very true so Mm -hmm. for me it's like I'm I'm learning not to be embarrassed that bad things happen to me because bad things happen to the people who took care who took care of me right I feel like we're in sort of a constant political upheaval
1: and people like you are called upon in these times. And I wonder, um, I wonder how much of it is a burden and how much of it is a privilege. And Um, I
0: don't mean it in the way that we normally mean privilege. Yeah, no, I think it's. Well, I think of it a little bit as like this kind of privilege that, you know, lots of people have my feelings and yet people listen to me more than they listen to other people. And so I do think that there is a privilege. And but with that comes that sense of responsibility. And it can be burdensome. Absolutely. Um, I know that when I'm feeling particularly like emotionally, you know, wrung out, that You know, I'll get a text or a a DM or an email that says, hey, can you do you have 15 minutes in the next 35 minutes to do this thing? And I go, no, I don't Mm -hmm. I don't want to. Um, And I'm getting better at that. When I was first starting up, I said yes to every everything that came my way, feeling that like, wow, like. What an honour. I have! I should respect them and say yes. Uh, and so learning to say no to these things has definitely been a skill set that I've been working on. But it can be a burden because you kind of have to put yourself out there a little bit and you have to risk, like people seeing you as somebody who can speak on behalf of a large group of people when I can't. I can only speak with my experience and my knowledge and, you know, my intellect. And I say that often at the beginning of interviews, and and that usually gets cut out.
1: Well, (laughs) it's it's a little ways in. We won't cut it.
0: (laughs) I always say, like, I can only speak from my experience, and I'm a part of the Mi'kmaq Nation, and there are many Mi'kmaq people who have similar experiences and understandings, but by no means do I have the right to speak on behalf of them. I haven't been, you know, elected as any form of community representation. I, I haven't, you know, kind of like earned this through like a cultural hereditary piece. It's it's me speaking up for things that I don't agree with. And I happen to have a large group of people who are like me that agree, but I can't say officially that this is how Mi'kmaq or indigenous people feel. Sometimes I think you're a poet. Why aren't they calling the politicians? Why aren't they
1: holding other people, like making other people speak to these issues and you know we're we're, we're seeing everything that's happened you know at digby lately and 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 i imagine a lot of people reached out to you if you didn't have a book i could conceivably could have called you up and been like come on the show and talk about yeah, stuff yeah. and how's like is ugh,
0: do you do you want it do you need a break mm, i'm getting better at saying no right. but i'm also like, I do enjoy it. I do enjoy the community engagement. I do enjoy changing people's minds, right? Like, mm-hmm. I think that that is a a skill set um, that not necessarily everybody has. And so I, I, like, have that responsibility. But with that responsibility, I can get a sense of satisfaction with a job well done, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> when I do it. And I do... I do really like that. I do need a break at sometimes. And sometimes I do kind of ignore DMs or I'll refer away being like, I'm not going to do this. You can, you can go hear some other people to talk to. Like I cannot be the only one. As for politicians, I think, I don't know. I don't care (laughs) if I get reelected, right? (laughs) you know, I don't have, my paycheck isn't determined every four years based off of a popular vote, Mm -hmm. you know, or less than four years. And so for me, like, I think that's it as whether people see me as like an artist or something like that's not, that's not my end game, I guess. Like, I don't want to be a famous writer. I don't really, like, I just, I don't. And I know it sounds very, I don't know, pretentious, like, mm-hmm. oh, like it's all about the artwork. No, not at all. <laughs> for me, it's like my goal is to make Canada a better place for Indigenous people because it is Indigenous land. And like that right. is my end goal. And if doing poetry accomplishes that task, if being a student services advisor accomplishes that task, if being a consultant for diversity and inclusion accomplishes that task, then that's that's what I will do, right, So I think that my motivations for art perhaps are a bit different than other people. I think it'd be easier to be a famous writer than to
1: change Canada. Oh, maybe <laughs> not th- trying to be cynical <laughs> 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 I'm just saying in terms of lofty goals, I think they're both up there.
0: <laughs> I don't know. maybe'll my neck I'll go you know I'll take a hard left and start writing about like odes to the various parts of body hair that I have. <laughs> Eyebrows, Uh, armpits. Love it. It'll be great.
1: Um, When you were Poet Laureate for Halifax, uh, what, what did you think it would be going in and how was it?
0: I did not even think that I was going to be Poet Laureate. Right. (laughs) Um, Elle Jones was the Poet Laureate before me and she was doing, I think, her due diligence and I think she also saw some potential in me and said like, hey, I'm coming to the end of this. Here's the application, floated around, da-da-da-da, but I think you would be a great fit. And so when I read the application, it had like all of these things about like your published works or your impact that you've had. And like, I hadn't done anything, you know, I went to the Canadian Festival Spoken Word, which is just like a, it's like a community organized like poetry festival that happens in different places but by no means do i like I was like, I'm just going to do this. This is going to be something fun that I do. But I have, like, apart from going to that festival, I hadn't ever done anything. Mm-hmm. So I put together all of my little performances that I did at that piece, along with a couple of other small things as an artist resume, because I'd never done one before. And I submitted it, and I got selected, and I did my interview, and I left my interview being like, well, that was a cool practice thing. I'm going to go <laughs> grab a beer, and blah, blah, blah. And then two weeks later, I got a call being like, uh, so you're the, you're the Poet Laureate. And I was like, uh, come again? <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) So I had no expectations because I didn't think that I was going to get it. It was more of an exercise, a practice um, to do something new. And what did they want from you? Like, Were were there there requirements of you have to give us four poems in this amount of time? Or how did it work? Pretty much. I had six official uh, things that I had to do. Uh, Two of them were reading poems in council for National Poetry Month. And then the other four were things that would be decided along the way but it was pretty obvious that it was going to be Canada 150 and the 100th anniversary of Halifax explosion which left like two other things wild cards wild cards yeah <laughs> so one of them was the new year's show of the tribe called red and oh that's cool yeah it was there's was a funny like side story about the anxiety that was surrounding that event um and then I can't remember what the the last thing was <laughs>
1: It's very special to you. I don't yeah, I
0: guess, I guess so. But no, with the Tribe Called Red thing, I messed up in soundcheck because I'm not a musician and they are. And like that how, anxiety, I, I did well. How did you mess up? Well, I just missed my cue, but it was sound check, right? Right. But for me, I was like, this is like the worst thing ever. And then it was so funny, like maybe two years later, I was on the bus on the way to work, and my brain goes, Remember that time you messed up in soundcheck with a tribe called Red? And I immediately started getting sweaty. I <laughs> mean <laughs> like, oh God. Why did you do this to me, Brain?
1: <laughs> um, wait, was that in Grand Parade? Was that an outdoor one? Yeah. No one would have even noticed. It was People are so freezing. loaded
0: and cold. It was freezing <laughs> that day, too. It was, yeah. like, minus, like, 18, oh, like, minus 20 with the wind chill. And, I mean, it didn't help that, like, Polaris Prize winning Lido, like, was the person going before me, mm-hmm. right? And so I was like, I oh, have, yeah. oh, god damn it. <laughs> I was like, why do I do, oh, man. <laughs>
1: um there's something they say about uh first records which is you have your whole life to write your first record mm-hmm. and then they want a second one so this is your third book I mean mm-hmm. it's sort of ne- no it's it's officially your third book because in yes. in terms of time coming out but it's your first poetry book of poetry because yes. the other two were were kids' books uh so I mean it's so fresh mm-hmm. to us mm-hmm. not to you mm-hmm. um how do you you know do you feel like you have to live another lifetime before there's another book?
0: I don't think so. Actually, I have been writing. I do write um, as like a stress relief. I write when I'm feeling my like particularly strong emotions. So I go up into like my little office area and I just like cry and I write poetry (laughs) 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 and like short stories and things like that. So I will probably have like amassed a collection of writing. It's whether or not anybody wants to publish it. Like I've been so lucky that I haven't had to pitch anything people have always come to me that's awesome yeah so i mean it'll probably like i won't i will probably won't pursue it <laughs> and if someone's like in four years you got anything new <laughs> i'm like well here you go <laughs> um
1: has co has the pandemic um uh, hindered or or i don't know the opposite of hindered has it made you write more or less mm,
0: i think that my time in my current place in life has made me write less hmm. um where I feel less sad, so I don't write as much, I guess. Um, But, you know, my mom is reaching the end of her life, and I've also started to write a little bit more about my grandfather. So my grandfather was kind of like my shining beacon of, Mm -hmm. like, safety and light growing up. There's a beautiful poem in here for him. Yeah, and I I wrote, when I was editing that poem with my editor, I cried the whole time while I was writing it. But um, I'm writing more, like, these little short essays, like a page and a half, Um, about like those family ties, like specifically about my relationship with my family, like Mm -hmm. very, like very intimate, like very small little details. Like I wrote this, you know, short story about my grandfather's chair and like the life that, you know, he and I lived around this chair, Um, and, and so like, that's something that's very special to me. And I see that, like a collection of that sort of stuff, like the very kind of the beautifully mundane bits of life that were calm and safe. Like those are the things that I'm writing about now. Well, that sounds awesome. We shall see.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, when I read these, I hear them in your voice, in your poetry voice. So maybe, could we hear your poetry voice? Sure. I'm going to hand it over. I have some earmarks. You do what you want. All right. Let's
0: see here. (laughs) What do you have? Um, Let's do, okay, we'll do because I have to. I did this poem with the uh, Zara Choral Theater. And so the way, whenever I do poetry with music, they say, you will have like 36 seconds available here you will have right. 16 seconds available here because like i don't know bars they yeah say you i have... know i don't know bars and i play music yeah so i'm like okay and so i wrote this poem <laughs> specifically for that um and so i don't have the the swell of i, can, this, put, like, I amazing, can put a clock up if you want <laughs> amazing chorus behind <laughs> me but uh no i'll do it <clears throat> i'm pretty great but i cry a lot And I've been told that I speak too much, that I talk a lot. So I tend to overthink things and seethe a lot. I take deep breaths a lot, walk a lot, tweet, gram, write, and push back a lot. I cry a lot. I get told to stay in my lane more often than not. I can't help that I don't and won't fit in a box. I was never allowed to call all the shots, but I can build skyscrapers when given only half the blocks. I've written PhD dissertations and lectured at the School of Hard Knocks. I've torn through time and worked until 13 o'clock because I've had to. I grew up without grandmothers to fuss. I had a mother who worked too much to show her love. I had a sister who hit more than she hugged. My auntie was battle-worn and rough. I learned that being a woman was about being tough, so I pushed down my feelings and hid my thoughts because I've had to. I read a lot. I consume books and articles. I scrutinize font. I will never be a jingle dress debutante. Red tape trims the edges of my shawls and ties my mocks. My dance arena is city sidewalks. I stand on guard for elders to remember what they forgot, so instead I took up the political front. Waded through the academic and legal swamp, I've replaced all my ancient words with grades given on a bell curve. A series of issued numbers legitimize my state. My creation stories came from cassette tapes from a parent trying to escape his colonized fate i had written off my culture as a total loss because i had to i forgive a lot i've let people take comfort at my cost given up pieces of myself for them to accost this country i have crisscrossed running on fumes and emotional exhaust did them a favor gave them my labor held the hands of the haters told them that with enough time they'd get there i've made circles out of squares because i've had to i have a tendency to care I will sincerely accept your despair, clumsily stumble through smudgings and prayers, learning what was taken, braiding my hair. I will answer your emails and questions. I will reply to your Instagram message. I will gently accept and offer corrections, expand my understanding of culture definitions, fight for the angry and for the victims. I will remember their names, smuggle in keys to unlock their cage, accept that it's scary to be brave, and I will do all I can to protect and save. I will mispronounce words that I am trying to learn. I will speak just as loudly even when I'm not heard. I will fight for a community that doesn't always accept me. And that's fine because I'm working on my humility. I will take up space. Not because I always want to, but because I have to. Amazing.
1: Thank you. Now, you could have just read that and that would have been this whole interview. (laughs) But very concise.
0: I mean, yeah, we're touching on it, right? (laughs) Like that responsibility, because I have to, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. I also want to talk about um, uh, being a lot uh, because what I had an incident in August and um, you sent me a very nice DM that was like, I know what it's like mm-hmm. when Twitter comes after you. Mm-hmm. Um, so how how are you? How
0: do you navigate that? Um, I think for me, like. When things are very obviously coded as racist, it's very easy for me to dismiss that and be like, well, you're a horrible person. (laughs) (laughs) When it's people who are like racist, but they don't they're not aware that they're being racist and they're playing devil's advocate and they're trying to like see both sides. And that's what makes me really anxious and frustrated because, you know, you have somebody who seemingly believes themselves to be a good person. um, But they are continuously perpetuating bad things. Um, I find that to be more, that weighs on me far more because you think that somebody may be a good person or your friend or your ally and then they pull that out because people who are way on this side saying you know i received well i didn't receive it i have received emails similar but dan paul who is the mi'kmaq historian um received this horrible letter that called like mi'kmaq people a bunch of like gas huffers and all we were good at was you know drinking and you know all this awful awful things like when you see something like that you're like well that's just a piece of trash Mm -hmm. like that's a that's a monster of a human being i don't have any need to address that when it's somebody who you thought was a an ally this whole time and you're like and all of a sudden you start kind of in you know having to judge your like your acquaintances and your relationships in a new way that's that's what becomes really exhausting Mm -hmm. um Otherwise, i just, like, mute, block, <laughs> yeah, mute,
1: I've been swinging block. the block hammer a lot, just like Thor. No, oh, not good. taking it.
0: Yeah, I'd be like, <laughs> eh, goodbye.
1: <laughs> um, I wonder what these sections, and I, I know you talked about uh, Whitney, your editor, kind of moving, move, structuring the book for you. Um, are there things that you think, now that it's published, that maybe belong in a different chunk of the book? Because a lot mm. of them kind of hit
0: all of them. Yeah, yeah. Um. It's interesting, yeah. Like, when I think, like, I'm trying, to like flipping them through here, um, I don't know. I find, I don't know, she did a really good job. She did. And, like, a very, very good job. And I find sometimes that, like, when it comes to, like, editing my older stuff, like I said, that sense of embarrassment comes in. So I'm just, like, select all, except changes. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah. I don't read it. You are
1: perfect. Yeah, uh, I didn't read it. Yeah, But
0: then there were other pieces that I have a strong emotional attachment to that poem. And she would have like a suggestion and mm. like a redo and i would put in the response no right <laughs> and that was it and i wouldn't offer an explanation and be like i'm not changing that piece um but i you know, i think she did a really good job i haven't sat with it long enough because again like i don't know i feel very like i feel very emotionally attached to the words but like the product not as much i don't know yeah i find like okay that's done and put it over here, here you go. And, you take that yeah and I'm just gonna continue on you know there's an employment equity policy over here that needs addressing
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh when you write do you does it all come out in a burst do you labor over every line how does has what's your process like
0: oh it depends um so my poem pennies about missing and murdered indigenous women that is probably the first time and one of the only times where like a poem just like erupted Right where it's like I I cannot write this fast enough. I had this idea where I wanted missing and murdered Indigenous women to be like an advertisement as a product through the Hudson Bay Company. Like that's mm-hmm. that was this metaphor, this idea. And I was sitting on a plane back from Toronto, and I was like, I gotta start this right now. <laughs> and I just like like the whole Get out the yeah, notes and just typed the whole thing out. And when I landed, I had this complete piece. Wow. Yeah. Whereas other poems. Um, I'm just like oh <laughs> and like i labor and i labor and it takes forever i have i have a couple poems in there that's probably taken like 4 or 5 months to write because right. i'll have all of these paragraphs and all these stanzas in different notes pieces in my phone and they kind of come together and some people will say i really love that piece and i'm like oh that's like six different poems that i just feel like i forced together so right so you never see it as a whole piece you you when
1: you read it you you hear all the I parts i see all the
0: different parts yeah i'm
1: like that with like uh records i'm like oh i know that line was a punch in and that was different and i didn't sing that right
0: yeah and i have and i do have lines like i liked the line itself i liked the metaphor but i have never found a poem that it fits in so it's just like it just sits right yeah it just sits there and and like there's one specific specific one and it was um they bend and refract their colors taking shape you've set the stage for a prism break and i loved that (laughs) and i have never i wrote that years ago like in one of my very first books of like my you know handwritten journals of poetry still have yet to find a poem for it yet those lines haunt me
1: right yeah right don't know what to do with them yeah they'll find a place someday they'll just
0: fit one day maybe somebody will get them tattooed on themselves and script (laughs) i can if you want you want to go right now (laughs) sure let's do it (laughs) nice inside the bicep (laughs) um and do you have a favorite a favorite poem i don't necessarily know if i have a favorite poem i think the newest poem that i write is yeah. my favorite so the one that i did for you folks the other mask you wear yes that's not in this because it's right. brand new
1: <laughs> yes i did i i just want to if you haven't heard this uh rebecca i asked rebecca to to give uh side door a poem and she's like can i write a new one i'm like are you kidding <laughs> of course
0: yeah i really liked that one mm-hmm. it and it, yeah, if we go back to process for that, it's just like I was writing it and I was like, oh, oh no, oh no, she's going dark. <laughs> <laughs> it's very dark. Yeah. And I, I and, and that's it. Sometimes I don't know the tone of the poem until I've written it. And, I, and it just kind of takes, it, it does a little bit has a mind of its own, mm-hmm. right? Where it's like, I'm just here to have some nice rhyming Yeah. And the poem will dictate where I go from there.
1: Interesting. Yeah. Now you we talked about the negative attention. Um, How do you quantify the positive impact that you're that you're having?
0: (sighs) It's compliments make me deeply uncomfortable. (laughs) I you know, and it's probably like part of, you know, my upbringing, but like I if my ideal show is perform to a bunch of decision makers mm-hmm. have them you know change their minds have them think differently and when i am done to walk off stage and leave and not have to talk to anybody afterwards <laughs> <laughs> just be like bye okay I'm out uh I hopefully I had a good impact on you I send me an email for me to read later I do not want to talk about what I just did right (laughs) um so I think it's I'm learning to get better at accepting compliments um it it is very difficult to me because there is a big part of me where it's like you're just being nice I don't believe you yeah yeah I yeah. feel like you, you're doing this because I made eye contact with you and now you feel obligated to come <laughs> over. And I promise you it was an accident. Right, right, right.
1: Um, would you read one more? And I won't compliment you at the end.
0: No, you can compliment me. This
1: is fine. I. It's strangers who. who... Very well typed, I'll say. All right. Oh, it doesn't have to be one that I flagged. I'll do it. I'll read the flagged one. Well, ones. it was I'm a, a good lo- guess. It, it was the loved one. <laughs> The love is the the one about love ruining your life. I could really
0: relate to that one. Uh,
1: which one's it's early that one?
0: on? There's where are you from? A toast to the mixes. Fuck buns. That <laughs> one's actually one of my favorites. <laughs> we'll read fuck buns then. Such, I've I've read it a couple of times. I feel like okay. Uh, one of those families. Ribbons. Which what? one are you talking about? An Indian culture. I'm going through here. No, it's I marked it with this with a. Did I not dog ear it? Love, love is. is. Oh, yeah, it
1: was. I thought it, I thought it was. Um, I wish I was good at writing love poems. Uh,
0: yes, that one's also about my crippling insecurities.
1: <laughs> you don't have to read this one if you don't
0: want to. I might cry. I'm a good guess. Okay. And I also swallowed close to the mic, so I really apologize for he that. You can get like that. ASMR. <laughs> Water ASMR. <laughs> I haven't read this one in years, so we'll see if I can get my poet voice with it because I don't, I don't have it. Okay. okay. Love is the hardest thing that we do. We eschew all rationality, reaching for a heart's embrace that many times ends up tragic. Love's timing is rarely on point. It's, plain, it's pain and pleasure, two sides of the same coin, and my pockets are full from the 20 I've broken. I've got change to spare, range to care, words to share. I've lived a thousand what ifs in the instance of a stare. Breath caught between the beats of a heart. Love refuses to be dictated by rules for when to end and when to start, a thin societal veneer that tricks us into believing relationships are linear instead of a scatterbomb, and the beauty that blooms in the resulting chaos. Love doesn't care if you're a good person. It twists the knife, makes nice with your heart and riles up your head. It embeds its tendrils into your bones, replacing veins. Love isn't picky. It's fueled by lust and anguish and pain. Love wraps caterpillars in your cocoons. Love doesn't care if you're a good person. It twists the knife, makes nice with your heart and riles up your head. It embeds its tendrils in your bones, replacing veins. Love isn't picky. It's fueled by lust and anguish and pain. Love wraps caterpillars in their cocoons, plants them to sprout wings in your gut's womb. It comes a little too late or a little too soon. Love takes and hides all of your spoons. It lifts you up and ties together your shoes so the smallest nudge makes you trip and fall. Love is the trickiest trickster of them all, more ostentatious than crow sneakier than coyote it chooses where it wants to go and goes there boldly love takes without asking it bathes in your saliva leaving you dry mouth and tongue-tied and it rides the shaky fists dangling at your side love devours your pride it implies great things love infects your bloodstream and love is not always contagious it would seem It manifests itself through lingering hugs, nails dug across sweaty skin, playful reactions, acts of compassion, and take-backs that aren't rationed. It's exposed in spades or in fractions. It's misplaced passions. Love is the fine art of inaction." Love is a serial offender. It kills you while keeping you alive. It vilifies compromise. It spies your Achilles heel and attacks. Makes you love someone who doesn't love you back. Love fills pages upon pages of your writing pad. Love has no confines or life hack. Love is a paradox unabashed. And love love is mourning the loss of something you never really had. Breath caught between
1: the beats of a heart. Mm. Fuck you.
2: (laughs) I...
0: So, I'm sorry.
1: You're a good guest, and I'm a bad host. That was amazing, and I, it was interesting. I could feel that your your discomfort. Yeah, I'm I, su- I'm sweating.
0: I, the <laughs> other one was like nailed bam, it. Bam. This one, yeah. you're like, ah. yeah, I. I Armpits drenched, like face hot. <laughs> well,
1: Rebecca, thanks so much for joining me. I appreciate it so much. No problem. Thank uh, you. For I having. place you into the fire by Rebecca Thomas, available at your local independent booksellers. If you can swing an independent bookseller from Nimbus Publishing. And um uh, and thanks so much. Awesome. Take care. Thanks. Jameson at the Golden Palm, and produced by the Halifax Examiner.